Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Welcome to another episode of So Mind-Boggling Journeys. I'm your host, Bettina Goolsby. I'm an actor and dreamer slash creative continuing to go after my dreams. So much of this journey is just so mind-boggling, hence the title, for either reasons of utter disappointment or the manifestation beyond what I could have ever imagined. Follow along as I check in with other creators along the way and learn what so mind-boggling things they have to say and what it's like pursuing the dream while living the in-between. Welcome to another episode of So Mind-Boggling Journeys. Today, we have writer Gerard Brown on the podcast. Gerard started off as a playwright, and then he wrote his first screenplay that turned into a little film that kicked off the acting careers of some of your faves. Omar Epps, Jermaine Hopkins, Khalil Kane, and the late, great Tupac Shakur. That little film is called Juice. The screenplay sat on the shelf for three years before getting produced and shot right here in Harlem. Gerard will take listeners back and even share what two scenes he wrote, but were drastically different in the film. We also touch on one of his favorite jobs, writing for Happily Ever After, Fairy Tales for Every Child, with multicultural versions of many of your favorite fairy tales, where you can still catch this series on HBO Max, narrated by the late Robert Guillaume. Without further ado, Gerard Brown. I have a friend, I've got a friend, Jim and Carol Bergman. Jim is my partner on another writing project, which we're trying to launch now. It's it got an option agreement on it. And we have a 70 percent commitment on on like on like the budget. We have to raise the rest of the money. It's about the graffiti wars in New York in nineteen seventy-two. But Jim and Carol were giving up their space in saying they were gonna move upstate. So they called me and said, like, look, we're not taking all the books. You wanna come by and look like and look through the books and take the books you want. So I said, Okay, cool. So I went by there. And I'm sitting on the apartment been cleaned out at this point. Everything everything's been moved out. I'm sitting on the living room floor with a couple of boxes of books. I'm going through the ones, the ones I want to keep. And this dude, this big dude, he shows up at the door. He's one of the moving people. And he said, They just told me downstairs that you wrote the screenplay for, for uh, juice. Mm-hmm. I said, Yeah. And he came up and he picked me up. And, you know, and I'm not a small wow. guy, you know, like it's like I'm two hundred pounds. And he came he picked me up and swung me around. I mean, my feet were off the floor. And he was like, you know, like, and I was like, man, put put me down, put me down, you know. I watched it again the other day, and literally, when Bishop shot Raheem, I was like, Raheem, yeah, <laughs> like it just happened. By the way, like, about that, okay, women seven. during the production, people thought women were chasing Tupac. People were not chasing women were not chasing Tupac. Women were chasing Khalil. <laughs> Harlem's own Khalil Kane. Khalil, yeah, the, the women were chasing him. That's what happened with that. Well, we'll back up. So it was on the shelf for three years. So when you think back about that, are you like, oh my gosh, like, especially because you write so many scripts, mm-hmm. you could have another hit just sitting on the, on the shelf right now. Yeah, like, right. You're right. right? I, you know, and, and I think I do. I think I have a couple of hits on the strip. <laughs> the, strip the strip club joint. Yeah, yeah, right. Oh, God. <laughs> Actually, that would do because that would do very well. It's well, like it would be. Valley is doing really well. Yes, seriously. You know, honestly, I'm going to talk. I want to talk to Brent about that again, because it wouldn't cost much to do it. You know, we did did the budget once. It could it could be done for under two million dollars. But anyway, you know, when you ever do this stuff, ducks have got to be in a row. Plus, honestly, you never know with this stuff. It's all crapshoot. I mean, you know, I've half-assed put scripts together and hand them in. I've just half-assed done something and handed the script in. People came back and called me a genius. The other times I've really sat down and busted my butt, written something I thought was really good, really tight, and I throw it back in my face as trash. I mean, you never know. You never know. And I would never thought you sort of. If, if you would ask me at the end of my life, what was the best thing I've ever written? 
if Jews said, I probably would not say Jews, but Jews said this one's the most successful thing. Well, more people, I think, have seen the stuff I've written for Happily Ever After, you know, because they think they grew up watching that stuff. As a matter of fact, when I was teaching at LIU in downtown Brooklyn, most of them, a lot of them had not seen Jews, but they, you, you know, but they had seen Happily Ever After because they grew up watching watching Happily Ever After, Fairy, fairy Tales for Every, fairy, for every Child. That yeah. was the best job I ever had. And it's great because so many actors are a part of it, right? So yeah. many of our Black actors and actresses. Yeah, really. Let me tell you, I got that job. They don't want to hire me. Oh, because of Jews. Because of Jews, <laughs> you know? And they can, this is a children's show. Does Mr. Brown know this is a children's show? Like I said, let me write, you know, I can write that. So I had to give them a sample. And so my agent called me and said, you got to give them something. You got to give them something. Take a traditional children's story and put their and put your own spin on it, and then submit it. So I did a spin on the boy who cried wolf, and I gave it in. I didn't hear anything for thirty days, and then they called me out of the blue. They, you know, they said they want to have a meeting, so I went in and they gave me Rumpelstiltskin. And all they said was, "We're doing we're doing the children traditional children's story, make the multiracial, multicultural. We're doing Cinderella. She's going to be Mexican. It's going to be a Mexican story. We're doing the Emperor's New Clothes. He's going to be a Japanese emperor." And I, and I said, oh, okay. So they, and so they gave me Rumpelstiltskin. So I made him a roster. <laughs> and uh, uh, Robert Townsend did the voice of Rumpelstiltskin. And Denzel Perfect. Washington did the voice of the king. And uh, uh, Jasmine Guy did the voice of the Miller's daughter. And Sherman Hemsley from the Jeffersons, he did the voice of the Miller. Roscoe Lee Brown did the voice of the king's aide. It was worth Then they gave me Rapunzel. I made a Southern Bayou story. Tisha Campbell did the voice of the puzzle. Whoopi Goldberg did the voice of the witch. Then the third one was, oh, third one I did was Goldilocks. Raven Simone did the voice of Goldilocks. Ah. Tone Loke did the voice of the Papa Bear. Alfie Willard did the voice of the Mama Bear. David Allen Greer did the voice of the Baby Bear. Lou Rawls did a voice in it of a bat. It sounds like you had a lot of fun writing. That was the best job script. I ever had. That was the best job I ever had. I wrote my, that I did Alec Bowman, 40 Thieves. Tommy Davidson did a voice in that Marlon Gibb. That was after I wrote for Spawn, which is the first adult animated series. They didn't want to hire me for Spawn mm-hmm. because it's dark, you know, because it's a dark story. It's about a guy mm-hmm. comes back from the dead. But the producer said, Gerard Brown said, Yeah, don't you just write children's stuff? <laughs> and she, they said, He wrote Juice. And so they gave me that. That was an interesting job. I get calls at two o'clock in the morning about script changes. About script changes. Ooh. And when my phone rings. you would pop up and write. And I, write yeah, edit. I have to get up. You know, these people are paying me. I got to get up and turn on the computer and talk to them. But it was the first American adult animated series. And, you know, like it, I could go crazy. And so I, actually, that's, actually, that's what I said when they gave me Happily Ever After. Like, they gave me Rumpelstiltskin. Like, I said, well, can I go crazy? And they and they were like, well, yeah, I guess, well, how crazy are you going to go, Gerard? <laughs> I said, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be, be fine. Now, one of the producers on that was um, Donna Brown Guillaume, Robert Guillaume's wife. And they were like, <laughs> she looked at me like, what do you mean crazy? <laughs> I said, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine, Donna. It's going to be great. It turned out great. I got Cable Ace Award for, 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 for the first one. I got, yeah, I, I, no, I got Cable Ace nomination. I didn't win, but, but I got a nomination. That's amazing. Yeah. I bet that felt good to like, be recognized for your work, right? Especially because you've been writing for so long. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm old enough. You don't have to stress that. <laughs> but how? But what is that? So you were saying that you would get the the call to make script changes on Spawn in the middle of the night. Yeah. And it's like, so you can write under pressure. Well, you have to. You have to. You have to. Whatever you do, it's like I said before, you never know how people are going to 
going to react. You know, I've seen, you know, so basically just do the best work you can, mm-hmm. just hand it in and just wait for the reaction, mm-hmm. you know, and at times it's good, other times it's like, what is this? So I said, so anyway, but I started in theater. I just came to New York just to do theater. And uh, when my play, Joe Pat put my play with the public, and I was happy with that. And I thought that was going to be it. But then Ernest approached me to write Juice for him, Ernest, Ernest Dickerson. So I, so, so I did that. It was the first draft for about five weeks. And then the rest, I guess, is history, sort of. I'm writing, I'm, I'm working on two scripts, right? right I'm working on two. I will never do this again. I'm writing two scripts at the same time. And so, totally different projects? Yeah, totally different projects. You know, and I'm ready to jump out of a window. Hard deadlines. Not really. But the stories are so different. And if I just focused on one and just gotten that done and then started, but I was trying to do them both at the same time because I've never been in that situation before. And I was like, this is a mistake. So I toward focusing on one. I'm trying to have that done by the weekend. And uh, as a matter of fact, when I leave here, I'm going to go home and work on it. And uh, the other one, I'm going to start right after I finish this one. Okay. Now, are these films? Or yeah, are these, they're films. They're both films, yeah. um, feature films. Feature films. Okay. Yeah. At least I hope. Well, I'm definitely a feature film. The other one may want to be in a short. For those of you who don't know, features and movies, a feature movie, anything longer than 90 minutes, anything under 90 minutes is considered a short. So, and how do you do that if you're writing both? Are you, do you focus on one in the morning and then the other one in the That's evening? what I was doing okay. and it wasn't working very well. So, uh-huh. you know, like, so I, you know, like I talked to my friends, I talked to, you know, I talked to my friends about who, who like, who like a writer. They're like, why'd you agree to do that? <laughs> I was like, man, I'm like, you know, I just don't know how to say no. Well, and is, is it like, you know, as a writer, it's like we, an artist, you want to work. So it's like, well, the work is here or you, you must have been intrigued by both projects. And because that's one of the things that kills me about this business is how it'll be. I mean, I'm sure this is very different for you, <laughs> but things will be so quiet. And then all of a sudden, it's like everything happens at the same time. It's feast of famine. It's feast of famine all the time. I mean, yeah, I mean, either work, either a bunch of work comes at one time or nothing's happening. You know, like a yard there, like like throwing rocks across a lake or something, you know, saying, you know, seeing, you know, or stones, see how many skips the stone does to pass the time. I'm, you know, usually I dress up late at night watching old movies, watching, watching, um, you, know, you know, I'm a Trek fan, so I'll still have to watch anything Star Trek. But, uh, uh, also, what was I watching? I was watching something. Jeopardy. You loved some Jeopardy. Yeah. Well, my mother got yeah, yeah. My mother got me hooked on Jeopardy. You know, I watched it tonight, and I, and I'm like, don't put me on Jeopardy. I'll embarrass every black person on the planet. <laughs> I, you know, tonight they asked about sixty questions again. I knew about seven answers. I was like, man, I would bomb on this show. I'd definitely be in the red. They definitely never have me back. <laughs> you know, that's something about you that I think is so interesting is that you are very structured in that way and that the fact that you watch jeopardy every single night and even it. if you won't be there at yeah. home you'll yeah. dvr it I'll and DVR you watch it, it. i watch it i just want to see what i don't know <laughs> and it's a lot <laughs> it's a lot no right now there's this woman this young woman she's won 17 18 straight games and she's like 23 years old and she's asking culinary she's answering culinary questions and and you know, questions actually has questions about like astronomy and literature and all. I'm like, good mm-hmm. God, she's how does she remember? How does she retain all retain this stuff? All the, right, Jesus. So that's it. So so now, I, I was teaching for a while, LIU Long Island University, which is great, and at the new school, like Orange, like in Orange County, I've done workshops. I've had a couple. I had one teaching experience that didn't work out well, 
but the rest of them have turned out pretty well. That was a big adjustment for me because before Juice, I'd just written stage. I've written like four stage plays mm-hmm. before now, Juice. would you go back to, to doing theater? Uh-huh. I thought about that recently. I mean, I was talking to uh, one of my best friends from Howard University about that because he's the one that got me into writing. He, I mean, my first mentor was John Oliver Killens. I met him at Howard. And and he was the one, his name is Robert Crawford, we call him Ajimo. He, um, he wrote a play called The Brass Medallion, which was the first play ever done at the Kennedy Center, the Eisenhower Theater. And I went to see the play like five times. And I was like, I could do this. And that's when I began to write stage plays. And well, plus John Killen stopped me one day coming out of workshop. And he said to me, man, stop Because at that point, I was just writing poetry. I just started writing poetry so I could meet girls. And, and he stopped me one day. He said, man, stop writing some poetry, man. Stop writing some short stories. Stop writing some one-night plays. So I started doing that, and they started to get produced. So I just went. And then people said, if you want to see if you have any ability, you got to go to New York. So I went to New York, and my, and my play Jonan went up at the public theater. Yeah. After, after, after being in a workshop, and, um, and all the actors, I took them all with me from workshop, and they all got their actors' equity cards. They all got their actors' equity cards and stuff. Oh, thank you. You know, John Preston Brace and Greg Holtz, all of them. Y'all got the actors' equity cards. It was great. No, wait, so say the names again. So you mentioned some of those actors that were part of that. Oh, Jerome Preston Bates, Gregory oh. Holtz, uh, Mark Vaughn, who's working a lot these, these days. So was uh, Jerome. I always mm-hmm. see him Vaughn on TV. Yeah, right. He works a lot. Jamie Perry and Greg Holtz were both in the Michael Jackson Bad video. They were two of the kids that Michael was hanging out in the street that night. And the producers that they came to see the play and hired them to do that from, from there. So it's presented a lot of opportunities for like other people. And I'm thinking about writing some more. I, you know, I'd like to go back to writing some more plays. Well, really quickly, so I just want to say I love that you took all of the actors that worked with you mm. on the workshop mm. when you went to the public. That's awesome. Mm. That is so great. Well, I take them all. I took most of them. I took almost all of them. That's great, though, because, right. you know, a lot of times people feel like, oh, now that I have this budget or I have this, you know, this location or whatever, now I can you know, go after name actors. Right. So it's great that you brought along all, all the right. actors that were workshopping it before then. And so, so Jonan, uh, would you ever think about bring, reviving that, bringing that back? That's how I got into a conversation. Ajimu said that I should, I wrote that script, but I wrote Jonan back in 1979. And you have to tell, tell the listeners a little bit about Jonan. Uh, Jonan was based on my dormitory experience at Howard University. It's by a bunch of guys belonged to a fraternity. They all live in the same dorm, like in an HBCU. And it's about their relationships and how things, how they play too much. They're not serious as it should be. And they mock the African student. It, yeah, right. So it's about a bunch of guys at this fraternity and it's about their relationships and, and how everything goes bad when they least expect things to be going bad and how they don't take themselves or their friends seriously enough as they should, that they play too much. Mm-hmm. And uh, it has a tragic ending. Oh, so, okay, so this feels a little bit like the friends in Juice. Two friends, no. they're spending time together. Oh, yeah. One gets a little wayward and yeah. pushes the boundaries. Yeah. And then it's like, before you know it, all of a sudden they're on this whole other journey right. that that ends up having a very tragic ending. Right. Now the Q, Raheem, and Steele had no idea how volatile Bishop would be once he got the gun. By the way, Tupac was the first one to be cast. He was in the hallway. He he was in the group at the time called Digital Underground. Yeah. And they came to audition. 
And Tupac was in the hallway trying to talk to some girls. And Ernest Dickinson gave him some sides. It was for Omar's part, for Q's part. I can't even see him and as Q. As Q, yeah. And <laughs> they did a good job with that. But then they gave him, but then our, our cast person, uh, Jackie Brown, Carmen, like she said, give him the sides for Bishop. Mm-hmm. He went in the hallway, came back, from, it was a cold read. He came back back in and he nailed it. He was mm-hmm. first one Because that was him. I was like, yeah. well, we felt that. Yeah. Like he, he knows that character. Yeah, seriously. And so <laughs> Omar just graduated from, from performing arts. He had five callbacks. Jermaine Hopkins, who played Steel, he was the only one who'd done a movie before. He was in mm-hmm. Lean On Me. Yes. And Kalia was a bike messenger running around the city. It was it was his first job. He was also the oldest person in the cast. Everybody thought he was the young, you know, they had the same age, but he was a few years older. Yeah. And so honestly, we didn't there were certain things in the script. It, this is when I was learning writers don't have any power. Because there were certain things that we wanted to keep, certain things. The end of juice is difficult because you just saw juice, right? I saw it right before um, you and I talked the last time. So okay. yes, recently, yes. The end of the script, the end of the script, the end of the movie, the way it's written, and the way Ernest Dickerson shot it was when Q and Bishop fighting on the roof, and Bishop goes over the side. Q was pulling him up. This is how it's written in the script. But then Bishop hears the sirens, mm-hmm. his police sirens, and he tells Q, "I'm not going to jail." And that was set up in the first act. With, you know, with Bishop's relationship with his father. It was set up with that. That was set up with his father. But they felt, but the producers felt that the end was too, that that was too negative of like an ending. And we were like, no, you can't. That's what the whole movie's about. But they were like, no, that's why my writers have no power. That and another scene that was shot that they made us cut out was um, after the love scene mm. with um, Yolanda and Q. Yolanda goes into the bathroom. And you know, and she, you know, like to get herself together, go to work. She puts on her nursing whites, which establishes her as being a nurse. And Q comes in and he proposes to her, and he proposes marriage to her. And she's like, "No way, man! We're having fun, and let's keep it like that." But no, I'm not, not ready for that. Oh, so she does. She says no so in she the says original no. script. Okay, right. she says no. You know, but he's in love. And yeah, I was gonna say. And how does he take that? Then what? oh, he doesn't take it well. I mean, but he's like. You know, but like he, he, you know, but he backs down, he backs off, and you know, yeah, because the movie didn't go that deep into their relationship, it was more so about her telling him almost like telling him that he should say something, like if he knows something, he should say something, right? And it was more so about his dealing with the other guy. So it's interesting, the original script, there was more about their relationship, right? That goes to my theater thing, you know, you Mm -hmm. gotta have that. You don't have that, you know, I that brings to mind when I was teaching. I'd show my students this short video on a bonus disc of a Batman Superman uh, DVD. It was a short documentary, about 18 minutes, dealing with the producers and the writers and the directors of the graphic novels and of the animated films and stuff about the difference between Clark Kent and Bruce Wayne. And I really appreciate because they really get into how different they are. How Clark Kent is a country boy from Smallville. Mm-hmm who discovered he could do all these amazing things when he was a kid that nobody else could do, you know, like in that, whereas Bruce Wayne witnessed his parents murdered in front of his face mm-hmm. and how and how, and how that drastically changed him and the way they react to what they do. Superman, Superman is reactive, whereas Batman is proactive. 
and how one seemed and how one's mentally healthy, and the other one is like, eh, maybe, you know. So basically, to me, if you haven't done if you haven't done that stuff with a with the character, you haven't done you haven't done the work. You haven't done the heavy lifting. When I write now, when I write, this is this is my first time going out in a while. Yeah, I am in my part. I you know like it's like you shout out the friends, you shout out the family, you shout out the girlfriend, you shout out everything, and you say chain to your desk and you stay there until the damn thing is done. And so I just kind of shut. It's like I tell you. I mean, like I watch Jeopardy and Star Trek, and then I'm in right. And That's that great. is right. I didn't get any work from Juice. I didn't get any work because everybody was because well, I just I wasn't getting credit, and it was like that for years. But I tell my my students that everybody knows who Steven Spielberg is. Everybody knows who Spike Lee is. Everybody knows who James you know Cameron is, and they know and they all know. Mark Scorsese is, but nobody knows David Cobb. Nobody knows Lawrence Kasdan. Like nobody knows uh, William Coleman. And these guys, Lawrence Kasdan wrote Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Empire Strikes Back, The Big, The Big Chili, wrote Silverado. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's crazy know? that like to imagine those big worlds and yeah. then to put those to paper. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and to paper. Yes, yeah, seriously. I mean, like these guys. I mean, these guys are big. You think they were some big ass movies? Everybody knows the director. Everybody knows Spielberg did Jurassic Park. You know, everybody knows you know Martin Scorsese. You know, like has done all this other stuff. You know, he's done Goodfellas and stuff, and Taxi Driver. But nobody knows the writer. Nobody knows. Nobody knows them. Writers have no power. Theater, yes, you you know who the playwright is, but like in movies, you don't know the playwright. So thank you so much again for joining us and you'll have to come back and share more about your projects when you're able to. Hopefully this is the beginning of a lot more of you coming out of your uh, reclusive shell and and greeting your fans and fellow writers and other fellow artists. You don't take food to get me out of my reclusive shell. <laughs> okay, done. Okay. <laughs> thank you for listening. This has been a So Mind Boggling production. Follow along at So Mind Boggling on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.